it's how society has evolved at every level for years. If you want to get nerdy, it's like why new frameworks for writing code comes out is so that we can be more efficient. Our life is always about trading. It's about becoming more valuable, going to school to learn a new skill so that you can get paid to do this higher value skill and then hopefully create economies by creating opportunity for everybody else in this value chain to do what they do. From Seven CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruin, and you're in the CTO studio. Dan Martel, founder of SaaS Academy, about to publish a book called Buy Back Your Time. And someone I consider a close friend, he hated when I called him a mentor, but he definitely helped me through a very dark period of my life. Dan Martel, CTO yep. studio. How does it feel? You're in the CTO studio. Dude, it feels comfortable, like an old sweater. Actually, I smelled one of my old sweaters yesterday and it stank. <laughs> the word smell should just not come up on a podcast. You're right, you're right, you're right. But welcome to the CTO studio, my friend. Uh, it's amazing to have you. I've been wanting to do this for so long and I just want to thank you for spending some time with me. I appreciate it, man. You're like one of my favorite people, as you know, obviously, like getting to know you over the years and just seeing you step outside your comfort zone, your CTO comfort zone has just been exciting. I love nothing more than just seeing my friends like do things that they're nervous about and then like just absolutely watch them crush it with your conference and the business stuff and your content creation. So dude, Thank it's you. a fun ride to watch. What's crazy is... I'm going to have to tell the story. So maybe you're interviewing me. But the crazy part of this is I do have to share. I was on a call yesterday with the CTO and talking to him about growth and about progression and about, about my CTO levels. And the only thing he kept giving back to me was I'm skeptical. Oh, this could work. No, I don't think this is for me. Skeptical, skeptical, skeptical. And I had sort of an inside chuckle because that's literally how I met you was like, man, this guy. And if I consider the transformation that I've had because I've learned from you and been with you and just taken that step, man, you know, I feel gratitude on the knife edge of just what the hell would it have been if we hadn't met? That's crazy. It's fun, man. The world's full of that. I'm actually in Ottawa. Fun story. 19 years ago, because I'm a technical guy, never read business books till I was 23. I'm working for the aviation company as a contractor. And I go on lunch, I go to a bookstore, okay? Like prior to that, software books only. Like literally the whole IT software chapter, you know, in Indigo or whatever you guys call it in the States. And I buy a book called Love is a Killer App by a guy named Tim Sanders. It's right down there, 19 years ago. And that book fundamentally changed my life. And the crazy part is as I was walking by there yesterday, keynoting SAS North, which is the largest conference in SAS and software as a service, I decided I'm going to fly Tim in and we're going to do a book signing next year. Both of our books, wow. 20 years apart to the day, there's these moments in our lives that can absolutely shape us down a different trajectory that, mm. you know, looking back, I think you give me way too much credit, but I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's fun watching, you know, looking backwards. It's cool. On that topic, long story short, I sold my company. I was extremely depressed and confused, mostly because it was a bit of a contentious sell. And I actually lost some friends through the process. 
And my wife and I were driving up to San Francisco to go see a band with my two children. This was 2016. And out of the blue, my friend emails me Rose and she says, hey, there's this dude. He's having a conference. You should come. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? I mean, there's a dude who's having a conference. I'm not interested. And she said, no, but you should go. And so my relationship with her compelled me to check it out. But then here's the crazy thing. I said to my wife, hey, my darling, there's this dude who's going to do like a conference. And I didn't even finish the sentence. And she's like, you need to go. Just go. And I think it was because I was, you know, I was stuck. And I kind of got to my own breaking point to where I was probably ready to try anything and anybody. But because Rose spoke about you the way she did, I just thought, okay, I'm going to head out. Went to Canada. I think it was in Toronto with your idea to exit conference or I don't know what that yeah, was. First but... big event I've ever done. My buddy Roddy and I, we put it on. I did Exit Live. Was that the first one? That was a big first one. I, I did a launch of this product called Idea to Exit and never did a big live event. And I just said, I'm going all out. So yeah, I rented that big hotel, put the money down, production, had no clue what I was doing. And um, <laughs> I love that. Why not? Isn't it crazy how as you were planning that, I don't know if you even anticipated, maybe you did, the lives, the friendships. I mean, so many friendships came out of that. Yeah. I remember picking a seat right by the exit so that I could get the fuck out of there as quickly as possible. And boy, man, if I consider just how my life has changed since then. Anyways, I just want to thank you for that. By the way, just so my seven CTOs friends understand, I went to that conference and you said, hey, you should pick a company that you want to work on for the next few days. And I picked this music classifieds web app that I had that had an incredible following super successful, but it was free and it wasn't really a business. I still remember talking to you and I'm like, hey, Dan, I've got this thing for musicians. I'm drawn to it. I am a musician. I want to do this. And I've got this other thing for CTOs. And ugh, it's like, man, they're like herding cats and it's a lot of work. And again, you were just like, boom, dude, CTOs, man, that's the business right there. And so I want people to know that. That was a big moment for me. Here's my fundamental belief on life. Our job is to develop ourselves and what we learn about that journey, that personal development, that growth, that mindset, all that stuff, where it's then our responsibility to teach it to others. And for a lot of people, that just shows up as like being a parent in your kids. Since I was 17, 18, I just felt called to share it. So like even before I started mentoring, coaching, I've just been teaching people everything I've ever learned on my blog, on Twitter, speaking at events. There was no plan. There was no like, oh, I'm going to make these incredible friendships like yourself or impact lives. But I will tell you, man, just because I've been on the receiving end of so many incredible people sharing their brilliance that it's exciting every time I hear about it and unexpected. And at the same time, I feel like I'm not even scratching the surface. And I just feel like I've got to be doing way more. So it's cool, man. I just feel like super on purpose right now. So let's take people then, just so my tech friends can understand you were raised in Canada, and then you decided to move to Silicon Valley and start your company. Can you just give us maybe the quick Dan Martell progression to where you are today? Yeah. What a lot of people know if they know my story is that I grew up, you know, in a really challenging household environment, you know, diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11. Mom was an alcoholic. Dad was hardly at home. Second oldest of four. 
pretty much life spiraled out of control. When I was 12, 13, I got pulled out for a bunch of different reasons, put into the foster care system, group home system, ended up in trouble with the law and prison at 15 the first time for two months. Then got out, said I was going to change my life. I lasted a day. And then it's just just crazy. And then at 17, I found myself essentially high and drunk in a stolen car in a high-speed chase with a gun. And I said, if the cops pull me over, I'm just going to point the gun and let them do their job. And for whatever reason, when the car came to a stop because I ended up smashing into the side of a house, it got stuck, man. And you want to talk about moments. I mean, police grabbed me, dragged me across the front lawn, threw me in the back of the car. And it was really when I woke up sober the next day. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, like, when did you know that your life was going to be different? And for whatever reason, the meaning I gave myself the next morning sitting in that jail cell at a place called Sussex, New Brunswick, Canada, was somebody obviously was looking out for me because there was no part of my reality that was going to make it out alive. And here I was. Now, I ended up doing six months in adult prison because of some of the different things I was involved in, then got released to 11 months in rehab, like this crazy therapeutics community. That was the place where I did the work on myself. And I started this thing that you would call personal development today. But you know, I had to rebuild a relationship with my family and the trust that I'd lost and understand my emotional behaviors and what made me angry and how to deal with that and communicate. And it was like one of the most powerful things any 17, 18 year old kid could go through. But at the end of that program, I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out the cabins on the site because it was an old church camp. And one of the rooms in the cabin we were cleaning out had this old 486 computer with a book on Java programming. And I just followed chapter one, man. And as you know, because anybody's done software, you know, bought books, I got the computer within about 20 minutes to say hello world. And that moment, it was funny because I had this false belief that maybe I was like a secret programming genius because I was like, I've never touched a computer and I got it to say hello world. And this is like, so I like had this, again, this meaning that made no sense, right? Somebody was obviously working through me and I ended up just becoming addicted to writing code. I don't know how else to say it, dude. I would sit there with books, 21 days, PHP, Perl, HTML, database architecture. And I would just, my dad spent like $3,000 on books in the next year because he made a deal with me. He said, if you just finish the books, I'll buy whatever next one you want. And then entrepreneurship, just starting to build things for myself and tools and apps, Visual Basic. This is like BB2 or 3, Power Builder, Cold Fusion. I just fell in love with like this idea of creating something and being able to let other people interact with mm, it. Mm. Thing called the internet, right? It's 97. And that became the ultimate personal development program is business and entrepreneurship. Because if you want your business to grow, you got to grow. You got to be a person who can deal with more. A lot of people wish that things were easier and really they should be wishing that they had better skills. The complexity doesn't go away. You just become better. Since then, it took me two failed companies to really struggle to figure out how does this business stuff work? And then it was that book, Love is a Killer App, that taught me to read business books. Prior to that, I only, only, only read software books, taught myself how to code, got all these different contract jobs. And then at 24, I started a company called Spheric Technologies that did enterprise portal software. And that was the one that made me wealthy. At 27, I became a millionaire, cash millionaire. My, my accountant called me up, Mark, and he's just like, hey, you want to hear something cool? I was like, what's that? He goes, you got a million dollars in your bank account. And I was like, is that good? <laughs> I didn't know if it was good, dude. I was like, 
was like, is that okay? And he's like, yeah, man. And I was like, all right, just a back to work. I was like, who cares? You know, I was driving like 15 year old car. Like I didn't care. And then I built that over four years. We were the fastest growing company in Canada, sold that and lasted maybe four months retired, air quotes, built the house, the cottage, the boat. You know, I used to joke the hot tub. That was all I ever wanted in life. And that was when I moved to the Valley. I just felt like if I didn't get out of there, like I came from a small town, there was a good chance I'd wake up one day and just totally regret not going for it. You know, Silicon Valley is, is everything you think it is, man. It's crazy. It's Disneyland for software entrepreneurs. Going to coffee shops and seeing like 99% Macintosh computers and those half of the people are working on pitch decks and those half are working on code. And it's just like, unless you're working on a billion dollar idea, you're kind of worthless to a lot of people. It's, it's crazy. But that was one of the most important decisions because it put me around other people that thought way bigger. And what I've realized in life is that we don't rise to the level of our goals. We rise to the expectations that other people have on us. And when you're around people like that and their expectations is billion dollars or bust, like either you do that or you don't. And if you don't, then please get out of my breathing bubble. It was just so powerful as a reminder of proximity and community and positive peer pressure, which I got back when I was 17 in rehab being around this community of people that were on the same journey. I built two more tech companies, raised venture capital for both of those, Flowtown, Clarity. After Clarity, I moved down to San Diego near you to try to take some time off. It didn't last very long. Started the YouTube channel. And then throughout the whole time, as you know, like I was angel investing. I've invested in 50 plus software companies, $4 billion companies, unicorns, intercom, Bootsuite, Unbounce, Get Around. And today I run the largest coaching company for software entrepreneurs. So I'm the CEO of that plus High Speed Ventures, which is my kind of like family office holdings company. Both of those are eight figure companies. And I just love what I do, man. And now I got my book. And just to put things in perspective, my intersection with you was in 2016. I joined JFDI. Cool. Yeah. I think in terms of what you said, in terms of rising to the expectations that those have around you. What an incredible group. I loved how I got zapped out of CTO, chip on my shoulder person. In my story was very much like, hey, I wrote the product. I coded it from a blank VI screen and I started building this product that became a multi-million dollar product and we sold the company. I was showing up to other CTOs as sort of that guy. And I think what JFDI taught me was, how do we serve people? How do we, you know, it's not about you. It's about how do you lift others up? How do you get over yourself? I never forget the first and most viral video I made was not only did you give me the quadrants. For those who want to know, the person who created the tech quadrant is in the room today. Is, is Dan, and he made that up in like 60 seconds, but that's a different story. But just making the video to just share that concept with people is not only my most viral video and sort of the, one of the most canonical definitions, apparently, for what the role of a CTO is. It was my gateway into just saying, hey, man, just be authentic, be real, just put yourself out there, give yourself to people. And whatever follows, follows. It's, I mean, who can argue against authenticity? It's beautiful because every person listening, I don't care who you are, what position you are in your life, what, what's on your journey. The human experience is to face adversity, 
learn how to overcome it. And if you're not a complete ding dong, teach somebody else how to get through that faster. Literally, our responsibility to people around us is to become better so that we can be an example of possibility. Again, that's what we do for our kids naturally as a parent. No parent wakes up and goes, I don't want to create a better future for my kids. That's part of their DNA. And all I saw in you was like, we're both technical, like you're way more technical and I kind of went more the business route. But I had worked with so many CTO and engineer types that I understood that their default was like this kind of cynical, judgmental, critical view of the world and the interactions of people and you going through that journey. And it's like, okay, I've figured out there's a completely different way. And if I follow this track, I can get a completely different sets of results. And it's like, hey, man, like, yeah, the music thing's interesting. And I know you love doing that. You're an incredible musician. But it's like, hey, that's the thing that's going to light you up. At the end of the day, when, when our time here on Earth is done, Etienne, we're going to lay on our deathbed and we're going to think about the people and the experiences and the lives that we touched. We're not going to think about the company and the money yeah. and what's in the bank account. Yeah. I got lucky because I learned that at 17 years old. And it's been just like this true North Star for me. And I can't help but wish that everybody gets on that same journey. So just to put a bow on the transition from troubled youth to where you are today. What's coming to mind for me is when you saw the 486, you started coding. Did you just leave the old Dan behind? Was it like like a... No. This is what's crazy, man. Like, And I'll tell you this. Every day, and that's why I put it on Instagram stories and you've seen it. If you follow my stuff, I am consistent. I am continuously working on myself. Period. Full stop. I There's never a day that goes by that I don't wake up and go, how do I chip away and get better? How do I get better at holding my vision? How do I get better at the energy I, I bring to interactions? How do I create more value for people? How do I learn how to communicate better? All those things. So it's like, even though I got out of the addiction hole, there was this whole like Dan Martell that needed to get deconstructed and rebuilt. You know, some of my stories, there was just trials and challenges along that way from like a failed engagement where my fiance came home one day and drops the ring and says, I can't do this. There was addiction. Like I started drinking again. I've been sober now for 10 years and like had to go through that journey. Even the business stuff, like two failed companies. Here's the thing that I know about me is I'm just never going to stop. Like I'm just not. When I was younger and I had no proof, I sounded crazy. Like think about it. You were in jail and then you get out and you're like talking about building a business and being successful. And people are like, can you just live? Can you just try not to kill yourself? My dad would just be like, can you please just be normal? And I'm like, look, no. Even today when I talk to him, he's always joking. He's like, man, you're very different. And I'm like, I know that. <laughs> but it's because I chose a long time ago that if you want to live an extraordinary life, you have to be extraordinary. I don't know why people don't see that. They want these things that very few people have. I want these material things, these relationships, this fitness thing, this energy thing, this recognition and respect. I want these things that very few people have, but you're going to show up and do average. It's just not how it works. So when you say many people and they want that and they don't and blah, 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 what is the unfair advantage that you have that gives you this unquenchable desire to be better? I don't waste my life, man. I literally, I don't want to get emotional about it, dude, but I'm just not going to waste my life. I'm not going to wake up and just lay in bed and call it in and not decide. Somebody was looking out for me. I'm alive today. I gave that meaning that I was here for a purpose. I'm going to honor that person 
that created me, every person inside who they think they are has a person they could become. I don't care if it's the person, I'm in a hotel right now at speak at this event, if it's the person cleaning the room to the front desk person to the Uber driver. And I just see that in everybody. Like I literally see that in everybody. I see their genius, I see their core, I see their heart. And if anything, over the years, I've just had this like sense of personal knowingness of like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I have no clue how to get there. I have no clue how to do it. I'm gonna totally fumble and fail and try again and just, but every day I decided I'm just not gonna waste my day. When people are like, oh, my friend died and they're all sad. And I'm like, why are you sad? And they're like, they live such a short life. And I'm like, you're sad because you're not living your life. I see it when other people around them have these moments, they think of their own death. Dude, I've been thinking about that every day. I live in the five-year increments that resets every 12 months. Every year I go, I got five years left. What am I going to do with those five years? I think, I don't know if you were in the JFDI room when I did this exercise where I asked people to think about, you know, if you only had seven days to live, what would you do? If you only had a month to live and then if you had six months and then two years. And the reason I walk clients through that is because it forces you to get crystal clear on what's important. And it removes this belief that people have that I can just drag my feet around the things I want to do and the betterment they should be going for. And because I also know I've got thousands of at-risk youth, these kids that I speak to that I'm, that I'm an example for paying attention. And I believe that every person should become the person that they needed most as a kid. Become the person who you needed most. Be that person. Be that person, but become that person because you ain't that person because you wouldn't have listened to you. You're not impressive. Go be the person that you needed the most. Wow. That is a, that become the person that you needed. I love that, man. If only you wrote a book about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, if only. It only took me like 10 years. I do want to switch to a moment I had with you in San Diego, probably it's 2017. We did one of our JFDI groups and one of your opening sort of sessions with us, we were like 12 people and you were like, hey, you guys have got a book in you, go for it. If you had the book in you, what is it? What is the story? We, we went through this exercise. That's when my journey started. So my book's coming out in February and I credit it to that moment when you were 2017, I was just trying to get back into seven CTOs and get my head in the game. Of course, imposter syndrome and all these things I was struggling with. And I was like, wow, there's a book in me. And you spoke about it's even an issue for me. It's a thing I am facing. It's a challenge I'm giving myself. So I don't know if the book that we're going to talk about now was birthed back then already, but I so identify with your own struggle. Like, man, I, I also want to get something out there. And clearly with the story you just shared, there's a lot that you want to offer back to people. So how did you get to writing Buy Back Your Time? I'm not one that's going to sit here and do success theater, which I think a lot of people do. They get on a stage or platform and they're just like, yeah, I had this moment. And then it was all clear and blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, that, was that when we brought Chandler Bolton from yes, self-publishing yes, school? Yeah. Yes. So Chandler's the man, selfpublishingschool.com. He's been a friend. It's crazy to go from never reading a business book 20 years ago to now having literally a dedicated library in my house of all my friends that have written books. It pinched myself. This is crazy. How does this happen? 
And what happened is that I started the process back then. There's been three phases of the book. The first thing I was like, oh, I'm going to write a book in a month. And I blocked out three hours every day for 30 days, every day. And after two weeks, I laughed. I was like, this is not a good book. And it's not probably how you write a book. <laughs> I stopped. And I was like, I'll get to that another time. I'm busy. And then probably a year after that, I like hired some guys to help out some like people in the book space. And I was like, okay, I need some help with outlines and structure and paid real money. I think I put down like 50 grand to like get some help writing a book and did a bunch of stuff and then wrote the draft. And then when I got it, I was just like, so not connected to what was created. And I remember Jarrett, my videographer at the time, we were running and he's like, how's it going? How's the book? Because he knew I was working on it. I go, dude, I'm just, I'm just not happy with it. And I got to give credit to Jared. He's like, look, dude, when it comes to creative projects, especially things like a book that are going to be out there forever, if your heart isn't proud of the work you put out there, you really probably shouldn't do it. You can't take it back. It's on Amazon. It's printed. It's in bookstores. It's not like a video on YouTube you can delete. It's there. I decided to shelf it yet again. And then probably about two and a half years ago, my buddy, Ron, called me up and he's like, hey, dude, do you ever think of writing a book? And I laughed because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, a few times. He's like, it's ridiculous. You don't have a book. You're one of the only YouTube channels that I watch. You know what you're talking about. You have very unique perspectives on scaling companies and business and life. You need a book. And like he had written two books, bestsellers. And he goes, do you want to partner with me? I'm all about buy back your time. That's why I wrote this book. I was like, okay, if I can find somebody that's going to be the CEO of the book to drive it forward, focus on other stuff. He's got the background pedigree experience. He brought in his agent, Lucinda. And as a team, we worked on this project. It wasn't like one of those hire somebody to interview to whatever, and then you get a book. It was like, no, no, no. We're going to hire a writer, work with me directly, transcribe my videos, edit them, interview people, research. I said, look, if we're going to do this, when this thing gets birthed, it is going to be the best thing at the time. Because I also know that there's like this, anytime you put something out, there's always like, oh, I should have added this. Or, you know, you get off stage at a talk and you're like, I didn't say that joke or I forgot to tell this part. So I knew that I just wanted to feel proud of what I wrote when it comes out at the time. It ended up doing the book proposal. That was a project in itself. And then we got a bidding war for the book, got an advanced, serious advance. Like, I don't want to brag, but multiple six figures, okay, with Penguin Random House portfolio. I know I've got a lot to give the world, but I'm still in awe and shock of small town Canadian boy doing stuff in the big city of New York. That was the deal. And then I worked on it, writing it for the last two years, lots of fighting back and forth, editing, research. Now I'm keynoting on the topic because it's been something core. You've known me for a long time. Like, the concept buy back your time is the buyback principle is a new term that about four years ago I came up with, but I've been doing this process my whole life since I was in my twenties. And it's just this fundamental belief that you shouldn't hire people to add capacity. You should hire people to buy time out of your calendar because as a CEO and entrepreneur, if you don't do that, you'll end up building a business that you grow to hate and wanting to shut it down because it's taking over your life. And if you don't do it the way I share in my book, because I coach a lot of the entrepreneurs that end up at this place, you literally end up hitting a pain line. And what I've discovered is entrepreneurs will not grow into pain. They just won't. If growing your business 10x next month means that your life is going to get chaotic, you'll sabotage your success. Yeah, because we're, the reptile brain is just wired to, to avoid that. 
they want to avoid pain, man. It's like, here's this animal in the bushes that's going to kill you. So it's like, why would you go towards it? What I want to do is teach people the sequence, not only understand the value of their time. So I teach that, it's called the buyback rate, but also the replacement ladder of the optimal sequence because I'm a systems thinker and designer. It's like, this is the math. This is the dollar math, the value math on how to replace yourself in your business as fast as humanly possible to get the most value with the least amount of risk. And then in doing that, you will finally get to a place where the more you grow, the more your life is enriched and beautiful and have more energy and you're doing things that light you up that make you money. And then from that place, you can create more. Because like the reason why this is a movement for me is because I want to make sure that entrepreneurs and creators create more. I want CTOs that are like, look, I don't want to be the CEO. I want to write code. I want to be part of the technical decisions. I want to be part of the architectural conversations. I want to build great product. Do that all the time. And then all this other noise that you hate to do that sucks your energy that is honestly something you can pay other people to do. In this order, if you do that, you will be able to create more. The world wins. This is what's crazy about entrepreneurship. Every day, entrepreneurs wake up to make the world a better place for every other human being in it, period, full stop. You aren't an entrepreneur if you don't do that because the market won't pay you for the value you created because you're not solving problems. So if I can help entrepreneurs to stop hitting this pain line of just like building the business in the wrong order and then deciding to sell it, stall or sabotage, then I can help them break through it. The world will have more solutions, more abundance, more problems solved and creators creating. I think that's why God put us here on earth, dude. I think he said, like, I want you guys to go create. I think there's why it's part of our DNA to just build stuff. Our default state is not to sit on a beach and stare at a sunset. It is a strange thing that the thing that you create becomes the thing that you hate because you're doing all the stuff that you started it so you can get away from that crap and then you're right back into it. Yeah, well, it's because when you're actually deploying dollars for labor, there's only four ways to get leverage, code, content, collaboration, and capital. So I'm just talking about collaboration, which is people. Most entrepreneurs, when they start, they've never taught how to hire, right? So it's like they're doing work and then they, they're like, I need another developer. So I hire a developer. Or they're like, hey, I need to hire somebody to do support. So they hire somebody. But they don't realize those things don't free up your calendar. They just add to your calendar because now you have two people you got to manage. And usually when you get to like seven, eight, nine, ten. Your life just starts getting crazy because you wake up in the morning and you're like, I call it the tell, check, next loop. You got to tell everybody what to do, check they got it done, tell them what to do next. So you like spend the whole day just doing that. You get no projects done. And then you have to go back to your emails at 6 p.m. at night and work till 11 p.m. Just to actually reply to people, move the business forward and maybe get some work done on stuff you were supposed to do, but you spend all day managing people. That's why to me, this is such a important methodology and process to teach because I literally will see, you know, hundreds of clients that I've worked with overcome this. I mean, you're a great example of it, dude. I know sometimes it takes people a while to figure it out, but like when it clicks, it clicks. clicks and they're just on. like, oh my gosh, I've been working so much harder than I had to. It's like, no, bring these people into your world, co-create with them and you'll actually do more. And see, most businesses don't fail because the market isn't there. They fail because the entrepreneur hates the business they built. That's crazy. Yeah. I've had that love-hate relationship now for years. I get it. I love what you're saying around how adding more people that are supposed to take hats off your role is actually adding to your workload. 
it's a financial thing. Think about this. If I got a dev shop, custom dev shop, I'm building stuff. I've got clients. So I got to do like new client calls. I got to do some marketing. I got to do sales. I got to follow up. I got to manage projects. I got to take requirements and I got to write code. Most people, when they're doing, they start these businesses, these dev shops, as an example, they're like, all right, I'm busy. I need to hire a developer. Okay. Well, developers, if you look at like the stack of stuff you do on a weekly basis, paying somebody to write good code is probably the most expensive thing you could pay for somebody else to do. Where my argument and the buyback principle at a fundamental level is look at the other stuff that's low value that you don't like doing. Paperwork, administration, research, project management, coordination. And then by that time, you go write more code because you're probably better at it than anybody can hire anyway. And you keep doing those trades and you just can't not win because at some point, and I always say like your number one strength becomes your Achilles heel to growing because it's usually the thing you're most critical of that you have a hard time letting go of. Most people don't have a hard time letting go of invoicing and following up with receivables because like, I ain't doing that. So that's easy. It's like, can your bookkeeper please do this? But stuff like product management, engineering, marketing, sales, these are the tough ones. But the good news, if you do it in the sequence I teach, by the point where you can do that and you should do that, the businesses get the resources to do it right. Mm. When you do it, when you don't have the resources, then you're trying to like, underpay people and micromanage people to try to get them to produce at your level. And that's where the friction comes in the ebb and flow of success and failure and deciding, do I really want to do this? This is supposed to be freedom. I'm stressed out. I get people coming to me with adrenal fatigue, anxiety attacks, stress, depression, they're on medication. It's you have a business, you just built it in the wrong structure. And when I show them the math and the, the blueprint, they're like, oh, we need to get rid of this, redo this, and all of this. And then from there, I can do what I do best, which is scale. See, I can't scale a founder if the infrastructure isn't built right because it'll just cripple them under their own weight. So the two questions I have, buyback principle applies obviously not just to entrepreneurs and the business. It's probably something that is universal. It's fundamental to any society. Think about it. Do you still grow your own food? Some people do. But it's how society has evolved at every level for years. If you want to get nerdy, it's like why new frameworks for writing code comes out is so that we can be more efficient. Our life is always about trading. It's about becoming more valuable, going to school to learn a new skill so that you can get paid to do this higher value skill and then hopefully create economies by creating opportunity for everybody else in this value chain to do what they do. My executive leaders have executive assistants and we try to outsource stuff. Where I'm at now, and it's levels. Today, I have an executive assistant that's world-class. She has a team. I have a house manager who manages all my personal side of things, like all the physical assets. And like she's the CEO of Dan and Renee, my wife. And you don't start there, but you just keep working your way up these time trades until you get to a place where not only can you grow two companies as the CEO at the same time, but you can go travel for three weeks in Europe with your family and literally just do what you want to do and have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, we're buddies. So, you know, like, and train for Ironman. I did three Ironmans this summer. I speak, I travel, like I can be generous. If everybody on this call wants to get my standard operating procedures for my executive assistant, house manager and training, just email me, Dan at Dan Martell, two L's at Martell.com. Email right now, if you listen to this email and just say EA or send me the EA training or whatever. And you'll get it. 
So I can be even more generous mm -hmm. with my time because I did that because that will cause zero extra work for me in my life. And so like being able to walk around the world and talk to somebody and be like, man, I, I want to help you, but my life is so crazy right now. I have to say no. So I'm just going to share this because it's subtle. It's the sabotage, right? So the three S's when you hit the pain line, you either stall, sabotage, or sell. Those are the same thing. Sabotage is a funny one. So for example, I'm speaking at this event and I was sitting there with Patrick Campbell from ProfitWell, amazing dude. And this guy was talking about, he came up to us after we got off stage and he's telling us about his problems, right? And he's like, you know, I'm dealing with this and this. And Patrick's like, oh, I know a guy that can help you solve that. And the guy was like dismissive of it. Like he didn't want to hear. I don't know if you've ever seen this person's like, here's a problem. You're like, well, I know a guy, do you want to make an intro? And then they just keep talking about the problem. And I'm sitting there because I do this. It's almost like a sixth sense I have is I'm watching this person communicate their pain, but because their life is so chaotic, they're not hearing that this guy has the solution because I know that even making an email intro is going to add that to-do list to that person. And they rather not have to have another thing to do. All he had to say was, oh, thank you, Patrick. I would love that intro. But he doesn't say that. He just keeps communicating. Patrick's like, eh, I'm going to move on. And I see these are the subtlety of sabotaging your own success. When you don't create the space to be able to be generous and creative and pursue these, like the universe talking to you and introducing you to people and, you know, somebody saying you should go to this event and your wife's like, yeah, you should go. Like, if you don't have that space to do that, to me, this is where people are actually working way harder than they have to. I want people to create more, period, full stop. I think most people... Who's going to say no to that? Who's going to say no to, I want to create more, but then you're saying there's this constant sabotage. psychology and a mindset you're going to have to work on. Like, this is the thing, right? The perfectionists in the room, they think they're perfectionists. They're not, man. They're just scared. The people that are control freaks. What's coming up for me is fear. Even your comfort zone can be filled with the things that you hate to do, but you just know how to do them. So that's your It's because zone. they're familiar. Familiar, even though it's painful, is way more tolerable and digestible than things that are unknown. So it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. A lot of people are like, hey, I know this isn't the best way to work, but it's how I work and it's worked mm -hmm. so far for me, so I'm mm -hmm. good. It's like, here's the deal. If you want more, you have to become more. There is no other equation. And the other thing is if it's on your heart and, and you know you want more, it's in you to have. You wouldn't have that desire if it wasn't in you capable for you to do. So the good news is if you desire it, you have the capability to do it. You just have to go through this journey to become the person who can gain that outcome. The truth is, is 80% done by somebody else is 100% freaking awesome. Okay, I have a cleaning lady that is 80% as detailed oriented or as good as me. But guess what? While she spent 15 hours this week cleaning my house, I got to spend 12 hours going to the gym, hanging out with my team and being a great brother, husband, friend. So someone might listen to this and say, oh yeah, well, he's a Silicon Valley millionaire. He's funding his whole perfect life. And you said the buyback principle doesn't start with the freaking house. So is there a glimpse you can give for that? Because most of my people are evidence-based, empirical-based, sometimes skeptics, what is the one or two sort of... Here's the deal though. The first thing I'm going to tell you in the buyback principle, you don't free up your time to do nothing. You don't free up your time to go watch Netflix. You free up your time to trade your time with valuable things you can get paid for. If I tell people like meal prep, house cleaning, and other personal things, laundry, washing for, 
I had a CEO that I invested in and his business was going through a really hard time. And I was like, hey, let's meet up. It was a Sunday. He's like, I can't, man. I got to do my laundry. I'm like, dude, you can pay the five, $6 a load to have somebody else do your laundry so that we can go to the office and whiteboard this solution. But again, they're like, but if I did that, what would I do with my time? Ah, that's awesome. You don't know how you're more valuable to the world. That's a more fundamental question. They don't want to talk about that. How do you become more valuable? I don't know. That's a terrifying thing to face. Totally. I don't know. Well, perfect. Let's talk about that. What are the skills you need to develop to get your outcome? Who do you need to become? What does that person look like? What are the traits they have? What are the resources that you can go discover? Is that where you start painting sort of the bigger picture of who you want to, is that necessary so you can then chip away 100%. at it? In the book, I have a whole chapter on 10X vision map because, and I think I did it with you guys in JFDI, right? We need to have a vision for our life. And from that, then we can make a list. That's where the buyback starts. Okay. Yes, because you can't trade your time to do nothing. The whole point is you time trade. I love that. Yes. It's not this sort of, hey, I feel too busy. I want to do the buyback principle. No, it's like, who do you want to be? What do you have you vision for your life? The buyback principle gets you to that. Yes. You just don't hire people to add capacity to doing more of that. You start by buying back your time on your calendar and there's two filters. It's lowest cost. You hate doing. That's the time and energy study I teach in the book. It's like log your 15 minute increments of your life for two weeks and then go through with a highlighter and go like red and green, things that give you energy and things that suck your energy, and then dollar signs, one to four, one dollar signs cheap, four dollars is high. <laughs> Writing code is four. And then you literally grab all the reds and the one dollar signs and you put them in a bucket and you start figuring out how do you get them out of your life. This is why I feel like you're secretly a CTO. I'm a systems nerd, man. I'm a, I guess I would be. I'm not a coder as much as I thought I was, but maybe I'm more of a CTO. I just love trying to deconstruct complexity into simplicity because, and this is why in the matrix I teach, the bottom right corner is invest, right? You, you buy back your time. So you delegate stuff, then you replace yourself and then you go invest and you have to invest in either mindset, skill set, or relationships. Those are the three things. And people are like, what do I do with my free time? Go invest in your beliefs, go invest in your skill sets, and then go invest in your relationships. And those things should then allow you to produce, which is the top right corner, at a higher level. Here's the reality. The market, this is some Jim Rohn personal development. If you don't know who Jim Rohn is, everybody should go check him out. He's old school. But he talks about it. He says, our goal is to become more valuable to the market. So what you're getting paid today, even if you're an employee, is based on your value. And that's what your hour's worth. So if you get paid a couple hundred grand a year, then your hour's worth $100 an hour. So then how do you make it worth $200 an hour? How do you get it worth $500 an hour, 1000 an hour? And that's where I teach the buyback rate right? to say like, okay, if you know what your hour's worth and you can outsource anything in your calendar for a quarter of that, because I want people to get a four times ROI, it's mathematically you should. And then with that time, then go and invest in your skills and your mindset to become more valuable and trade up. And it doesn't matter if you're a programmer at Google getting paid $2 million a year to code or you're the CEO of your own business and side hustle. This is just how the world works. It's what I remember when I met you again in that event. I will never forget how there was this gorgeous conference venue and a lot of people, big, like a, a stage. And I don't think you even had screens on there. Maybe you did, but there, there was a, it. There was a flip chart. 
And I was like, hang on, this is like a massive conference room. There's no cameras. There's no screen projection. It's the dudes up there with a freaking Sharpie and flip charts. This is what I remember so much, so fondly remember is, you know, I gave you like 10 minutes before I was going to bounce. But when you turned to the flip chart and you started drawing like, dude, I am in. As I'm listening to you say, oh, it's the $4 bucket and then the $1 and then you move it. I'm like, <laughs> is the book filled with sort of that kind of detail? What's funny is when I handed in the first draft to my editor, they, they kindly called me up to explain to me there's a difference between a university textbook and a best-selling book. <laughs> and I was like, all right, my default is to teach and provide frameworks and visuals. So if anything, we had to like grab 70% of the book and throw it away and then fill it with research and stories. But yeah, everything from like how to calculate the buyback rate, understanding the economics of time trades, the energy and time audit, all of it from like the replacement matter to the drip matrix, like every chapter. That's in there. It's That's all cool in there. there. Okay. I even have like stuff around leadership for other people because even when you hire people to help you get more time back, it doesn't matter if it's a part-time cleaning lady to a meal prep person, like. How you communicate will set the outcome that you get from the individual. And most people are horrible at collaborating with other humans. They're so bad. And then they're like, this doesn't work for me. I'm like, yeah, well, let's listen to the last conversation you have with this person. It's so funny when like people just can't get stuff done. And it's like, you're the reason. It's not the person. You were not clear. You did not communicate right. So we talk hey, you of this. Definitions are done. Literally, I take agile programming and I try to teach business entrepreneurs to understand these like success criteria of like, you know, it's almost like acceptance test. When it's done, it should look like this. So let me communicate that verbally or put it in writing. So yeah, it's all in the book. It's very tactical. Let me ask you a last question. It seems to me like if someone buys into this and someone gets it, they read the book or they watch the videos or they listen to your podcast about the book. Are you going to provide support for people? Because I'm a forum peer group guy. The first thing I'm thinking of is what are the support systems that people who are saying, I want to do this, I want to take the first step. Is there a way that they're going to get support? How can they get support? And are you going to provide any of that support? Is there a buyback yeah, I mean, principle uh, peer group or something? Originally, I just wanted the book to exist for my clients, but I only coach SaaS founders. Literally, you have to have a product in market revenue generating software as a service B2B only. And with me, I'm, I'm into business growth and I'm into personal development. So this book is probably going to be one of several that I do on the business scale side. And I'm going to build a backend community that's going to look completely different from my coaching stuff. But it's going to be a place where you can be part of a community and get support on the book and scaling businesses. And I'll probably do that for the next five years, continue for the rest of my life. But like, that'll be a focus for five years. And then I'll do after that, the personal growth side. The philosophies that I approach life to and the mindset and belief stuff, I do my best to try to teach it. But I've read over 1500 books, spent millions of dollars on personal development, like millions, dude, not, not hundreds, millions of dollars. My, people don't get it. I've done the work and I want to give it out. So like what I'm good at, I think, is just processing all the noise and then saying, this is the signal, this stuff is wasted, let's just do this. And that's gonna have the highest potency or the highest impact. So 
the short answer is yes. I will have a community on the back end of Buy Back Your Time for non-software people, and it'll be the best thing in the world for people. Is the thinking that for software people, of course, you have SaaS Academy. They all go into anybody, yeah. And the principles are all foundational to SaaS. That's always been in SaaS Academy. Yeah, like buyback principle and all that stuff I've been teaching for about four or five years inside that community. Cool part is that I get paid to R&D these frameworks and then the stuff that I'm like, ooh, that needs to get codified a bit more, that becomes a book. And then I'm going to have a different community of people that want kind of like business growth coaching and mentoring. And then in like five years, I'll probably be the personal development side because I'm incredibly passionate about that as well. Yes. Well, Dan Martel, buy back your time. Buybackyourtime.com. Everybody go check it out. Go, go check it out. Please. I can leave a review. This, man. That's my biggest ask is leave a review on Amazon. That is, if I've done anything in your life ever, if this is added value, the only thing literally other than buying the book, please leave a review, even if it's a two-star just be descriptive as what you don't like about it. I'm just curious, but reviews is what's going to make or break this movement. And it would mean the world to me. Okay, Dan. Well, I love you so much, man. Thank you for doing this.